Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. And if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll go to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to begin there, and then we're going to move over to 2 Chronicles chapter um, 7, 14, and many of you are very familiar with that scripture, but I want to talk a little bit tonight about it's time to turn. It is time to turn. And, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And this is an incredible passage of Scripture in the book of Hebrews that is here. And uh, we're not sure who the writer of Hebrews is specifically. I believe it's Paul. Uh, many scholars believe it's Paul. Just due to the fact that the nature of the language of the book uh, uh, really has Paul's thing- fingerprint on the book according to the nature of how it is written. And, of course, the things and uh, the way that Paul had written. But in, here in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. This is where I want to start. We covered a little bit of this on uh, Sunday. I'm not going to go backtrack that. But there are uh, a couple of uh, key words in, this, in these verses that I want to bring out as we begin tonight. Verse 25, it says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall not be Escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. In other words, verse 25, there's this command, do not refuse to listen or do not refuse to listen to him who speaks. He's speaking of God. He's speaking of Christ. Earlier in Hebrews, it tells us that, um, uh, that in the last days, God spoke to us through his son. And so here in Hebrews, it's telling us that we should Listen, do not refuse what the Lord is saying in this hour and what he is speaking in this hour. I believe God is speaking right now. I believe his voice is speaking to us right now. In this hour, I believe he's speaking to us. And I believe that God always has his loudest voice in the moment of our pain. God's loudest voice is always heard in the moment of our pain or in the moment of our difficulty. Verse 26, it says, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Verse 27, now this, ye once more indicate the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, He's saying, he's referring to the Old Testament time when he revealed himself on Mount Sinai and the mountain shook, the ground shook, and the people were commanded not to come near the mountain. They were to heed what God was saying on Mount Sinai as he gave the church instruction or he gave Moses the instruction of the law. And he's saying, just as the earth shake then, Now, not only am I shaking the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens. And in verse 27, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, uh, there is a shaking going on. And if you have uh, gone through this pandemic as we have gone through it as a nation, you know there have been some things that have been shaken. And uh, there's things that are being shaken right now, even in the realm of our society, in the realm of our 
political society, in the realm of finances, in the realm of our social lives, our spiritual lives. And this is what the Hebrew writer is saying. The shaking that is going on is to remove those things in our life that are shakable, but the things that are unshakable will remain. And what he's telling us is, is that the thing that is unshakable is the things that God puts in us. In other words, the more of God you got, the less unshakable you are. The more of God you got, the more sturdy, the more secure you are. But the shaking is not to destroy us because those that are close to God can't be shaken. You're all hearing what I'm saying. Those who have a strong relationship with God cannot be shaken regardless of what our circumstances are or what's going on around us because the shaking is to reveal the things in you that should be removed. And sometimes it takes a shaking in order to reveal to us Areas about our life, things about our life. What's being shaken in you? What, is, what in this hour has been shaken? What in this hour uh, has God put his finger on? What has risen up in you? What has the pressure of this hour we live in brought out of you? What has it produced? What has come out of it? But I love what he says in the, in the next verse. I mean, he tells us the shaking, um, that those which, uh, uh, the shaking so that those things which can't be shaken will remain. But then in verse 27, uh, or verse 28, this is the verse that I love. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Now this is what he's saying. We should rejoice that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. How many are thankful tonight you have in you a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that there is God has put in us the things that cannot be shaken, and whatever is God cannot be shaken. And then he qualifies those things that cannot be shaken. There are two aspects that, that what happens in the moment when things are shaking, it reveals there should be two things that flow out of the individual that cannot be shaken. If you look in that verse, it tells us, it says, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. What is he saying? He's telling us this. He's saying, listen, when there is a shaking, when there is a shaking, uh, we are moved to serve God acceptably because of his grace. His grace gives us the ability to be unshakable. His grace gives us the ability to serve him acceptably when a shaking is going on. How many are thankful that during the shaking there's God's grace? But the word here is interesting because the root of the word is favor. That God's favor is upon us to serve him acceptably to give him to give him back joyful service even in the midst of shaking. How many know that's awesome that in the middle of a shaking, God's people are unshakable, but not only unshakable, they will be given the grace to serve him acceptably when everything around us is being shaken. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. And then it says it moves not only from his favor, but it moves and it says that we recognize 
that we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, right? So, so God's grace and favor comes on us when things are being shaken, but not only that, what it does is, is that favor, there's a reverence that comes on us also. In other words, uh, it gives us no license uh, to forget God's holiness. In other words, what is it saying? God's grace is always available, but we should never let the grace of God keep us from pursuing God's holiness. Because by grace, grace should motivate us to move closer to God's holiness, not to use grace as a license to move away from God's holiness. And so what he's saying is, in the moment of shaking, when there is shaking, the thing that God puts in us that is unshakable is the grace to serve him and also the reverence to pursue his holiness. And when we operate in grace and favor and we pursue him by reverence and holiness, look what happens. It says in verse 29, for our God is what? A consuming fire. (laughs) Think about it. He's a consuming fire. Now, here's the meaning of that. Why did he just throw that in there? God is a consuming fire. If you remember in the Old Testament, when they uh, approached Mount Sinai, remember they could not go on the mountain. They could not approach the presence and the fire of God or what would happen. They would die. The moment they stepped on the mountain, they would die because they would be in the presence of God. The second aspect of that in the Old Testament is when they would carry the ark and they would travel with the ark, which is the presence of God, they would walk with the ark out in front of the people. And the people had to keep a specific distance away from the ark. They could not approach it. They could not approach the fire of God. They could not uh, uh, touch it. They could not be around it. They could not uh, draw near to it. In the temple, they could not go into the Holy of Holies. They had to stay away from it. In the tabernacle, they could not approach it. And so when God revealed himself to Moses, the Bible said he revealed himself, what? In a burning bush, right? And Moses stood where he was, not to approach the bush, but to take off his shoes, for that was holy ground. In other words, he saw the fire of God from afar, but he could not, he could only see the fire of God. He could not experience the fire of God. But in the new covenant, We as believers not only can know the fire of God, we can experience now the fire of God. We can now draw close to the fire of God. We now can draw close to God, to the mountain of God, to the power of God, to the anointing of God, to the fire of God. And it says that his fire is a consuming fire. In other words, it will burn off of us everything that needs to be removed in order to walk in a place of reverence and holiness to God. We can pursue the fire of God. We can, he has built us that if we walk in reverence and grace and pursue his holiness, his fire can come on us now. And what the Old Testament had to stand back and look at and watch, we now as believers can now experience the fire of God. How many know we need to experience the fire of God? 
We need the fire of God. We need the fire of God. And we need to be unshakable in this kingdom. If you would, turn with me to uh, the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And this is the, the, the gist of where I want to get tonight. We're going to look at a few other scriptures, but I want to look over this prayer. Now, during this pandemic, I told you, or during this time that, that we have, have experienced all of this, there's been two scriptures I've seen all over, people quoting, Psalms 91. People have been praying Psalms 91. But I've also heard many people quoting 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's a powerful verse of scripture. The context of this scripture is Solomon is dedicating the temple in which he is built. He's dedicating the temple. And, uh, uh, and, and so this is his prayer. This is uh, uh, God's second appearance to Solomon during the dedication of the temple, which began at the first part of this chapter. And so uh, it, it is amazing. And, uh, you know, when we were building this church, I was driving by here one night, and the church, uh, it had, uh, all we had was the frame on the inside of this building, just a wood frame and everything else was exposed. And uh, we didn't have any parking lot lights out here or anything. And how I many know it could get dark out here when, when it, it's dark? I mean, when lights are off, it's dark out here. And uh, I was driving by, and evidently the construction guys had put a huge halogen light in the center of the sanctuary, and they had some other lights on. And when I drove by the sanctuary, it was like the sanctuary was lit up like just fire coming out the windows. It was just like, and, and probably it may have just been God for me, but it felt like that there was more than just one light on in here. And as I drove by, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me this scripture. But what he spoke to me was verses 15 and 16 along with verses 14. And, and uh, uh, verse 14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will, give, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. This is the word God gave me. To the prayers that are made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be here forever, and my eyes and my heart will, will be there perpetually. How I many know oh, that's a great promise? That God's eyes shall be upon his people, that God's face shall shine upon us, that every prayer that is prayed can be heard if God dwells there. Isn't it a great promise to have to say that God hears our prayers, God wants to hear our prayers? But during this time, verse 13 preludes verse 14, and it says this. It says, when I shut up the heaven and there is no rain, which is drought, or command the locusts to devour the land, or there's pestilence, or send pestilence among the people, which is disease, he said, when there is disease, when there's drought, when there's a national crisis, he's telling Solomon, he's saying this, he's saying, when there is a national crisis, when there's pestilence, when there's drought that is affecting the people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and look what it says, and turn from their wicked ways. In other words, if they turn from their wicked way. And as I begin to read this scripture, and uh, this is a prayer that we've been praying, that we've heard many people pray 
But I believe that there are some things that we need to tie down uh, that ensures us that we are unshakable. It's a time to turn. It's a time to nail some things down in our life that if we implement a couple of things in which this scripture is enticing us to do, that we can make ourselves or we can position ourselves as a people that is unshakable. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be shakable. I don't want every trial to move me to the place to where I fall into complete disarray. But in verse 14, it says, if we turn from, it always, a shaking always reveals what's not in place. It always reveals what is not in place. And if we want God to do the last part of this verse, we have to turn. Because the Bible tells us in verse 14 that if you turn from your wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven. So we have to turn, and when we turn, he listens. He responds. In other words, when we turn, in other words, this is a promise that this is a fulfilled promise. This is not a fulfilled promise unless we meet the conditions of the promise. What's the conditions of the promise? Is that we humble ourselves, that we pray, that we seek God, and we turn. Those are the conditions. In other words, when we do those things, then heaven responds to us. And so uh, it's like this. Uh, I was this, but now I'm this. Before all of this chaos, I was this, but after this, I'm now this. In other words, there's a turning. There's, it's really the word, it's a strong word for repentance. It's a strong word for turning back to God with, with, uh, with everything that we have. And so I want to talk about uh, five things uh, that will help us turn and will help us come to the place where we can tie some things down in our lives so that when there ever is a shaking, we are unshakable. And so I want to talk about a couple of them tonight. Number one, and we have to turn from, uh, from assumed to appreciate. To from assumption to appreciation. If we are going to be unshakable, if we are going to not be moved, we have to be a people that has to turn from assumption to appreciation of God. Now, I assume there would be toilet paper during this pandemic. <laughs> and we assumed that restaurants would be open. And we assumed our health, we assume that never, we've always taken for granted that our churches would never be closed. We've always taken for granted that we would be able to move around, about with freedom and always uh, go to church and our church and family and all these things would always be there. Our health would always be there. Our, our access to healthcare would always be there. In other words, we assume so many things that I believe that during this shaking what God has taught us is that we, through, we now appreciate the things that God has done for us more than we ever have before. In other words, we don't assume things anymore. We appreciate all that God has brought into my life and your life. In other words, it, it's, it's the having a quality 
of gratitude for what God has done in our lives. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, in the Living Bible, it says it like this. Why are we so puffed up about, we, about what, why are we so puffed up? Why do we have, why do we have, what we have, we have because God has given it to you. All you have from God, why are you acting as though you have accomplished something yourself and you have done it on your own? In other words, what Paul was saying, how do we get to the place where we become so puffed up to think that what we have, we've gotten on our own? What we have has been given to us by the grace of God. How, how are we, in other words, Paul was saying, we can't live a life of, uh, of assuming. We have to live a life of appreciation for what God has given us. How many thank God tonight for all that he has put in our hands? And so now, through this, we have to tie down the fact that we'll no longer go through life with assumption, but we'll walk through it with appreciation. And we have appreciation for everything that God has brought in our life, everything that God has done for us, everything that God has put in our hands. God is the one that has brought us to it and brought it to us. In other words, how do we do that? We develop an attitude of gratitude. Have you all heard that before? Developing an attitude of gratitude. Gratitude. You know, it's interesting. Gratitude is perspective. You know, I always, I always is amazed and when I see uh, Matthew and Becky uh, who have the orphanages in Kenya and they're pulling the children out of the uh, brick, the brick uh, slave houses in, in uh, Pakistan. And uh, every once in a while, Matthew and Becky will post a video of those kids in Kenya receiving something. That last Christmas there was a girl that received a dress. A brand new dress for Christmas. And, and that, that just the light up on her face to get that new dress. And, and they had one little boy, he got a soccer ball. And in Kenya, they were so appreciative for something so small. In their world, it was everything. And they had such an attitude of gratitude on their face because they received something that was for them when they were not used to receiving things. Sometimes we, we assume that we deserve everything we get. I'm here to tell you that if we can develop an attitude of gratitude in the moments of the most trying times in our life, your faith will not be shaken because you always appreciate where God has you. Paul said, I rejoice when I have nothing, and I rejoice when I have a lot. That's an attitude of gratitude. And so gratitude turns what I have into enough. That's what gratitude is. It's turning what I do have into that's enough. And you know, it's easy at times for us to complain what we don't have or even spend time complaining what we have lost or what our misfortune has come in life. But I don't know about you, but I want to tie down the fact that I want to live a life not of assumption. I don't want to take for granted anymore the things that God has put in my life, but to live a life of appreciation and gratitude for what God has already done for me. How many know that'll take you a long way? Appreciation will take you a long way. 
Gratitude will take you along. In the midst of trial, gratitude will carry you, help carry you through it. In the midst of things that we lose, you know everything that's taken from us that is a natural thing, God can always replace. Matter of fact, God can not only replace it, he can make it better. Matter of fact, if God's favor is working on your life and you're serving him acceptably and the favor of God, even in the midst of shaking, God can restore even what the enemy has stolen if we still remain in a place of gratitude. Number two, we have to turn from self-sufficiency to God-dependency. We have to move from self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is a form of pride. It is, it is a, a, a huge form of pride in, in our lives. And so when we talk about being God-dependent, there was a guy that was uh, trying to get to a meeting one time, and he was driving trying to get to this meeting, and he pulled into the parking lot, and there were no parking spaces. And he's like, well, you know, I've not been to church in a long time. I've not talked to God in a long time, but I'm just going to try it today. He said, God, he said, would you help me please find a parking spot? Please help. And as he turned the corner, a parking stop came available, and he said, never mind, God, I found one. <laughs> in other words, he himself thought he was, the, he, he was self-sufficient. And we have come to the place at times where we feel like we are so self-sufficient that uh, I'm responsible for what I need. But you have to understand, God is the one that brings provision to our life. In other words, God is the one that, that, that helps us. In the book of Daniel chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me, I want to show you Nebuchadnezzar here is, is one. It's a Daniel, and we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I was going through the series on Daniel, we talked about this passage and about the self-sufficiency of Nebuchadnezzar. But the Bible says in Daniel chapter 4, and beginning in verse, uh, in verse 4, uh, Nebuchadnezzar said this. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. In other words, he was taking credit for everything that he had. In other words, he was taking credit for all. And if you look down to verse, beginning in verse 30, it said, The king spoke, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling in my mighty power for the honor of, of my majesty? In other words, he stood out on his balcony and he said, all that I have, I have done. This is my palace. I'm the reason why all of this is here. I'm the reason why this has been done. You want to know what made me cringe? A few weeks ago, what made me cringe was I heard a governor in one of the states of our nation get on TV and say, and say God didn't do this. Prayer didn't do this. We're responsible for the ones to stop the virus that's coming. I'm here to tell you, God is more responsible than what we sometimes give God credit for in our life. If you'll look down to verse 30, or verse 32, it said, and what did God do? And uh, verse 31, it says, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 31 to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from your hands. God took the kingdom out of his hands. God took it out of his hands. And he said uh, the glory, uh, he said it was the glory of my, God took it out of his hands. And for seven years, 
Nebuchadnezzar went to the backside of the desert and he became insane. He lost his insanity. But the Bible tells us in verse 34, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned back to me. In other words, God allowed him to go insane because he felt he was self-sufficient and then his, eye, then his reason came back to him and he said, my understanding returned to me and I am blessed, I am blessed the most high and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. In other words, he returned back to God. He turned, he returned, he returned back to God. He realized that it was not him that built his kingdoms, but it was God that built his kingdom. What's going to make this nation and the church unshakable if we come to the place to where we realize that we are not self-sufficient as the church. We have to be God-dependent as the church. We cannot depend on our own resources. We've got to depend on God's resources. If we're ever going to let the consuming fire of God fall on us by favor and by our, our reverence to God, and it's become a consuming fire, we have to understand that we have to depend on God more now than we've ever. That's turning. It's turning. For the church now to be really essential and to be effective, we've got to now lean on God more than we've ever had to lean on God in the history of the church. This is the hour the church needs to turn and no longer be self-sufficient but be dependent upon God. How do we do that? We do it by dedicating every part of our life to God. We have to dedicate it all. We have to give God our time. We have to give God our hearts. We have to give God our money. We have to give God uh, every aspect and area of our life, not just part of it, but we have to give God everything because we have to learn to, to be dependent upon him in every aspect of our life. And you know, there's times that we have been and we have trusted God and by faith. But in this hour, if there's really going to get through the shaking that is going on and be unshakable, we have to depend on God and let God do the miracles that is expected that we pray that he does and does. Number three, if we're going to turn, we have to turn we have to turn from being scattered to gathered. You know, it really took a quarantine to make our scattered lives important to be gathered again. I mentioned this on Sunday, but how many of you have found a new appreciation for your family? A new appreciation for your wife or your husband? A new appreciation for maybe what God has given, given us? How many of you before all of this had gone on that you had a life that was overworked, overscheduled, and overcommitted? You were constantly going, constantly overscheduled, constantly going. And, 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 and all of a sudden, I think that as if we're going to, to learn the value of real relationships, we've got to learn that we have to now we, have, we can't go back to that. We have to have a focused life, and we have a life where we figure out what is important to us, which is the relationships that has been given to us 
that God has given us. If you would, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. In verse, beginning in verse 8, this is, the, uh, uh, this is a, uh, a story. And, and Solomon tells us this. He says, there is one alone without companion. He tells the story of a man. There is one alone without com- companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet, is, yet there is no end to all of his labors. And in his eye, satisfied with his riches, but he never asked, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. In other words, this is what he said. He's a man that's all alone, and he's given his life to toil. And he has, he has given his life to toil. And what he's saying is, is that what is the purpose of all the toil that I have given, all the time that I have spent, I am not happy even with the riches that I have gained. In other words, he's realizing that he has spent his whole life toiling. He's spent his whole life uh, toiling, and he's been deprived of the good things of life. You know what the good things of life are? The relationships that we have. In other words, he's saying it is vanity and misfortune. In other words, it's a miserable way. It's a miserable way. But look at the hope that is given in verse 9, 10, 11, and 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. How many realize we are better together than we are apart? How many know we need one another more now than we've ever needed each other in the history of church and in the history of time? Because if one falls, there's another to help pick him up. If one, if one stumbles, there's one there to pick him up. There's one there to lead him back to restoration. He doesn't just fall and remain. In other words, what is Solomon saying here? This man is learning the value of being together instead of being scattered. And I believe that during this time, we need to lock down. We need to to find out the value of being together with one another and the value of our relationships. It doesn't mean that they're perfect, but what it does mean is is that we value and appreciate one another and what we contribute to the body of Christ. I just want to testify a second because this is this is this is what you know we have we have been here seven years and uh, one of the hardest things that I've had that, that's hard that's that we've had to do is when we try to do something in the community, we've had a hard time getting pastors to help us work and do something. Like they just don't work together. And, and some of the reason is, is they, they think just because you have a different doctrinal statement or that you're this, or I don't even know the reason why. But it's always been hard to get pastors to work together. Well, here recently, you know, we had did this communion drive through a couple of weeks ago, and we had these churches that come together. And what happened was, in the preparation for that, we began to get on these Zoom calls with all these pastors that are here in town. And, 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 and every Friday at 2 o'clock, we get on these Zoom calls. And, and let me tell you what happened. The person that created this wasn't a pastor. He was a businessman. And what he began to do is reach out to the pastors and said, hey, you, you, you guys need to get together. You guys need to get together. 
In other words, he was tired of seeing the church scattered instead of being gathered. And so he brought, and you know, every Friday I get on that Zoom call, and every Friday I'm encouraged when I get off of it, there's about six or seven pastors in this community that get on that call. We have opened it to anybody that wants to get on it. And we sit and we talk, and we don't talk church, and we don't talk our wounds or problems or anything like that. It's friendship. And I'm telling you, I'm, I've learned so much through getting to know some of these guys that I have been in the same town with them all these years and have never known who they are or what they've gone through or, or what their story is. But every Friday we are gathering together. Listen, that's a valuable relationship. That's learning, that's learning to let everybody know you're not alone, but there's somebody there to help pick you up if you stumble. And how many know we've got to return from being scattered to being gathered and being gathered again? In other words, how do you do that? You do that by being more determined to keep important relationships a priority in our lives. Would you all agree that relationships are important? They're valuable to us all. And I believe that when a shaking is going on in a nation or in our lives, we need one another. We need that corporate unity that brings us together. Number four, we have to turn from going through life to growing through life. We have to turn from going through life to growing through life. You know, some of us, our lives, we exist. And part of the shaking that is going on, and I think some of the turning that needs to happen, is we need to, we need to get back to the place to where we find, we discover the real reason why God created you. You know, I, during this time, of, you know, I've studied more, I've read more, I've jumped into a couple projects personally that the Lord has spoken to me to do for years and I've not done. And so I went from just like the motions of life every day to now kind of growing in life. How many know we all need to grow in life? Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read this to you. Ephesians chapter 4, but I want to read it, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4, 13 through 16, but I want to read it to you in the message because I like how the message says it. It says this, it says, the body of Christ, the church, until we are moving rhythmically, or rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. No prolonged infancies among us. In other words, no longer being babes in Christ. Please, well not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and tell it in love. Like Christ is everything, we take our lead from Christ who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flows through us, nourishing us so that we will grow healthily in God and robust in love. 
Isn't that powerful? In other words, we have to turn from going through life and going and growing in life and growing in life and continue to grow in life. And the way that we do that, we discover the real reason why God has created us. When you discover the real purpose that God has created you and made you for, and you begin to walk in that and mature in that, then all of a sudden, you're no longer just existing, but you have a purpose in what God is doing. And I believe that if we will turn to the place and find our purpose, God will begin to move in our lives. Finally, tonight, number five, we have to turn from doing church to being the church. We have to turn from doing church to being the church. I asked you the question Sunday when services stopped, did the ministry stop? Did the, you know, churches that really are essential, though the services may stop, has the ministry stopped? And you know, that's a question we asked. And what was amazing was is that, you know, when we had to stop having services, and we actually quit having services a week before anybody else because we had this outbreak of flu that was going through our, the church. And the first week that we were closed, the first couple of weeks we were closed, uh, there were so many people that were calling me going, Pastor, if anybody needs groceries, call me. Pastor, if anybody needs anything, call me. Pastor, if, you need, if, if this needs to be done, call me. And I got so many calls. I was so uh, impressed with the willingness of people, the willing to go and do and to be whatever people needed them to be. And we, as the church, want to say we are essential, but are we really essential? If we're so essential, did anyone miss the church while we were not having services? The question is, did anybody miss us while services were not going on? In other words, did we continue to fulfill what we were called to do even though we weren't having services? Ephesians 2.10 says it like this, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, we shall walk in them. In other words, there is to be the church. We, God has, we, in other words, God done his workmanship in us. He put his good works in us. That not only has he put his good works in us, but he's prepared us. And because he's put his works in us and prepared us, we should be able to walk in them. In other words, to perform them. God doesn't prepare us and equip us just to equip us, but he equips us that we may walk in what he has prepared for us to do. So how do we do that? How do we turn from doing church to being the church? As I have said many times, and have preached many times from this pulpit, we have, we have, to, be, we have to determine the love of God, we have to demonstrate the love of God to the world around us. We should, we, should, we should live it out. We should walk it out. We should, we should demonstrate that love to the world around us at all times. We have to turn from doing church to being the church. And we do this. If we begin to turn, then God will begin to respond from heaven. And even though we walk through areas of life that are shaken, we can stand strong in the word of God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a Christian that's always shaken. 
I don't want to be a Christian that, that uh, I want the things that God to put in me that makes me unshakable to God. Unshakable in an hour when things are shaking up. And, uh, you know, I've heard so many people, uh, you know, it's amazing. I've had, I've never had this happen. But over the course of these few weeks that we've had lockdown, I've had high school friends Facebook me and ask for prayer because they, they're depressed or because they feel, you know, like everything in their world is drying up because their whole world was about their own self-sufficiency. And so when they had to lock down and look at themselves, they did not like what they saw. And, and because their marriages were a mess, their homes were a mess, their, their personal lives were a mess. I told you Sunday that there's been a rise in alcohol sales. There's been a rise in addictions. There's been a rise in suicides. Because what happens is when something is shaken, it creates the vacuum. And so when you don't have the freedom to do something, you have to replace it with something. And that's what happens. Psychologists say that. Sometimes when something is taken away, a freedom is taken away, we replace it with something. Well, as believers, we're unshakable. Nobody can take Christ from me. Nobody can take my relationship from Christ from me. And so regardless of the outside circumstances, the inside always stays the same. Christ is not lost in the vacuum of life. He's not lost in the vacuum of trouble. He's not lost in the vacuum of trial. He's not lost in the vacuum of tribulation. He still remains. And the deeper you go in him, the more unshakable you become. And the more unshakable you become the more grace and the more favor. And when favor comes on your life and you begin to be reverent towards the things of God, then what begins to happen? A consuming fire will fall on your life. And you'll begin to experience what only the Old Testament believers wished for, which is an encounter with the power of God in our life. Amen? Stand with me tonight if you would. Let's just take a moment before God. Let's just take that, that prayer, that, that 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Let's just ask God. Let's just ask God, God, what areas that I need to turn? What are, what are some things that I need to nail down in order that I can be unshakable? God, am I self-sufficient? Have I been so self-sufficient sufficient that I've lost the ability to depend upon you? Have I lost, have I come to the place, God, where... I have assumed so many things and have lost the value of gratitude. God, will you help me again to create a, a, a lifestyle of appreciation for the things you brought into my life, for the people you brought into my life, the things you've done in my life. I won't let the negative consume me. I won't let the negative overrun me. I will not be live in a place of assumption, but I'm going to live in a place of gratitude. I'm going to turn from being scattered to gathered. I'm going to put value on the relationships. Help me, Jesus. Help us, Jesus.
I don't want to be like the man in Ecclesiastes who's toiled and toiled and toiled and he sacrificed the good things of life and comes to the place one day and finds that his toil and all that he gained by his toil could not satisfy him for he had nobody to lift him up when he fell. I thank God tonight that we can have people in our lives that when we fall, we can be lifted back up again. And so God, we ask you, we don't want to go just through life. We want to grow through life. Help us grow in areas that we need to grow. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.